Hakai Magazine explores science, society, and the environment from a coastal perspective. Today's feature article is Cruise Ship Invasion. Take a typical Alaska cruise and see the damage in its wake. The evidence is clear. The industry needs an overhaul. By Andrew Engelson, read by me, Heather Walter. A note, today's story is highly visual, and you'll hear some references to the photos, videos, maps, and graphs that appear in the online version. Visit the story linked in the show notes to see them all. After a one-year pandemic pause and a limited season in 2021, cruises to Alaska resumed and surged in popularity in 2022. This year, an estimated 700,000 passengers will depart Seattle on hundreds of different cruises. These travelers voyage on increasingly massive ships, some about three sports fields in length, that can house, feed, and process the waste of upward of 4,000 human beings. Touted as inexpensive, all-inclusive vacations, cruises deliver thousands of people to the glaciers, fjords, and small towns of southeast Alaska. They're an integral part of the Pacific Northwest's tourism economy, but they come with environmental and human costs. Carbon emissions, wastewater discharges, engine and propeller noise, mountains of trash, and an influx of visitors have a cumulative impact on ecosystems and tiny communities. In this interactive feature, we follow the Oceanic Topaz, a fictional but representative cruise ship on a seven-day journey from Seattle to Alaska, stopping at various ports. Seattle. This season, 13 ships will make a total of 291 sailings between Seattle, Washington, and Alaska. The Oceanic Topaz begins its journey in Seattle. The economic benefits to the city are significant. In 2022, cruise tourists were expected to spend around 900 million U.S. dollars in the greater Seattle area, supporting some 5,500 jobs. Those visitors spent 238,000 nights in hotel rooms in downtown Seattle, accounting for about 10% of all downtown bookings. The Port of Seattle is aware of the pollution caused by idling diesel engines while a cruise ship is in port. Stephanie Jones-Stebbins, the port's managing director of maritime operations, says, We have to keep being absolutely vigilant about the environmental impacts. But how green is the port? Seattle offers plug-in electric power at one of its cruise terminals and is aiming to have its second terminal plug-in ready for the 2024 season. Yet only 37% of cruise ships used this option in 2021. And as of August 2022, this usage had declined to 24%. So, the majority of ships idle their diesel engines for 9 to 11 hours while customers snap photos at Pike Place Market and the Space Needle. Puget Sound Once the oceanic topaz departs Seattle, it glides north through Puget Sound and the Strait of Juan de Fuca. As the ship, which is in the mid-size range for those heading to Alaska, passes through the shadow of the Olympic Mountains, Its 3,600 passengers go about their daily business, flushing toilets, showering, and brushing teeth. Each passenger will produce a daily average of 30 litres of sewage, also known as black water, 
and about 250 litres of wastewater from showers, pools, laundry and other non-sewage runoff known as grey water. For a ship carrying 3,600 people, that amounts to about 400 eight-person hot tubs worth of sewage and over 3,000 hot tubs worth of grey water each day. In these waters, the oceanic topaz will keep its sewage and grey water tanks closed. In 2004, the Washington State Department of Ecology signed a Memorandum of Understanding with all the major cruise ship lines that forbids any wastewater discharge in Washington State waters. But the ship will dump the waste elsewhere along the route. Strait of Juan de Fuca Beyond Puget Sound, the Oceanic Topaz's diesel engines propel the ship to a speed of about 40 kilometres an hour. The engine thrum is so loud, it interferes with killer whales' ability to echolocate prey, reducing the marine mammals' chances of catching the Chinook salmon they depend on for survival. In fact, vessel noise reduces the whales' ability to hunt by up to five hours per day. Vancouver Island the Oceanic Topaz then sails northward past the west coast of Vancouver Island, British Columbia. By now, the passengers are settled into their floating hotel beneath an exhaust stack that spews tons of carbon dioxide from engines running almost constantly during the voyage. A ship the size of the Oceanic Topaz generates at least 2,800 tons of carbon dioxide during its seven-day journey. That's the equivalent of 600 gasoline-powered cars driving for an entire year. Hecate Strait. During cruise season, British Columbia waters are a dumping ground for untreated grey water that can have fecal coliform levels higher than domestic sewage, as well as pollutants such as detergents, oil, grease, heavy metals and medical waste. At the northern tip of Vancouver Island, the Scott Islands Marine National Wildlife Area, home to one of the world's largest rookeries of stellar sea lions and 50% of the planet's Cassin's auklets, is exposed to 4 billion litres of grey water and treated sewage each year. Hecate Strait is not spared either. As oceanic topaz enters the wide, relatively shallow waters of the strait, it opens its tanks to discharge treated sewage and untreated grey water. In April 2022, Transport Canada changed the wastewater guidelines for cruise ships to discourage the discharge of grey water or treated sewage within 5.6 kilometres of shore. But the guidelines are voluntary, though Transport Canada says it plans to make mandatory regulations for the 2023 cruise season. On its total seven-day journey, the Oceanic Topaz dumps 800,000 litres of treated sewage and 6.3 million litres of grey water. Stevens Passage the Oceanic Topaz sails into Alaskan waters and Stevens Passage, a rich fishing ground where commercial fishers catch salmon and halibut. The ship keeps its sewage and grey water tanks closed. About one-third of all cruise ships have no discharge permit in Alaska. The Oceanic Topaz will empty its tanks when it returns to Canadian waters. In addition, cruise ships can dump another type of wastewater without limit into most waters of Alaska and British Columbia. Scrubber discharge. 
In 2020, the International Maritime Organization required all ships to either burn low-sulfur fuel or install cleaning systems, known as scrubbers, to remove pollutants from cheaper, high-sulfur diesel fuels. Open-loop scrubbers spray seawater into the ship's exhaust to remove sulfur oxides, and in the process, they create acidic wastewater that's pumped back into the ocean. Closed-loop systems use fresh water treated with chemicals and deposit smaller but more concentrated amounts of waste into the ocean. In 2019, 14 cruise ships in Alaska burned low-sulfur fuel. Of those burning high-sulfur fuel, nine ships used hybrid systems that switch between closed and open-loop, and 17 ships used open-loop systems. Scrubber discharge contributes to ocean acidification and contains raised levels of polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, which can have moderate to acute toxic effects on aquatic life and birds, as well as heavy metals such as vanadium, nickel, copper, and zinc. Scrubber waste has been found to have severe toxic effects on several copepod species found in the Atlantic Ocean. On its journey, oceanic topaz will generate about 210 million litres of acidic scrubber wastewater, or the equivalent of 84 Olympic-sized swimming pools. That's a concern for commercial fishers such as Sandy Hasbrook, who documented a run-in with a cruise ship in a video taken in August 2022. Hasbrook says her crew was hauling in lines when a large cruise ship heading for them refused to change course and blew its horn at the fishing boat. She says when they went by, they threw up this huge wave. They're just rude. Hasbrook then saw in the ship's wake what she described as bubbly, crazy, foamy water that was a weird color. Skagway. On this cruise, the Oceanic Topaz does not stop at Skagway, the historic jumping-off point for miners during the Klondike Gold Rush, but as many as four cruise ships per day dock in the community during the height of the season. Unlike the ports in Seattle and Juneau, Skagway, as of 2022, has no plug-in power capability. Ships run their diesel engines while in port. The Skagway Traditional Council, a federally recognized tribal government, is monitoring air quality at three locations around Skagway. Their study began in 2020 and will provide a unique comparison between the cruise-free pandemic year and the cruising season in 2022, which reached about 75% of capacity. The study is focused on particulate matter, 2.5 microns and smaller, which are dangerous to human health because they can enter deep into the lungs and bloodstream. Reuben Cash, environmental coordinator for the Skagway Traditional Council, reports that during the 2021 season, the particulate matter 2.5 pollution levels were elevated in areas closer to the cruise ship port. Cash says, it seems like what we're seeing here is possibly, closer to the source, more concentration of these aerosols. An air monitoring study published in 2014 that included Skagway found levels of nitrogen oxide, an ingredient in smog, five to ten times higher than at other Alaskan sites where fewer cruise ships are present. Icy Strait Point 
The oceanic topaz then makes port at Icy Strait Point, a former seafood cannery transformed into a gateway to outdoor adventures and a strategy for economic survival for the Huna Tlingit people. Located about two kilometers from the town of Huna, population 900, the Icy Strait Point Entertainment Complex brought in 267,000 cruise tourists in 2019. Huna has been a center of Tlingit life for millennia, part of a culture that spans the islands and inlets of Icy Strait, including what is now Glacier Bay National Park. Once sustained by logging and fishing, now in decline, Huna has embraced cruise tourism. The site boasts the world's longest zipline, all-terrain vehicle tours, and a chance to view brown bears in the wild. All sales from these tours benefit Huna Totem, an Alaska Native corporation that returns profits back to the Huna Tlingit people. Some members of the community believe Huna has become just another coastal attraction. Wanda Kulp, a former resident who left Huna in 2021 after living there for more than 40 years, says the cruise line industry has stepped all over Huna. There's nothing more of a village in Huna that I can see. We've been gutted. Kulp recounts the time tourists once wandered into a friend's home, taking photos. It's a travesty. They've forced us from our nests. There are more Huna people in Juno now than there are in Huna. Glacier Bay National Park the Oceanic Topaz is not allowed to visit the showpiece of the cruise route, Glacier Bay National Park. Through a competitive bidding process, the U.S. National Park Service limits the number of vessels entering its waters to 150 each season. Worthy ships agree to abide by certain rules, such as using lighter marine diesel instead of heavy fuels, eschewing single-use plastics, adhering to speed restrictions, and controlling discharge. The U.S. National Park Service prohibits the discharge of wastewater into the bay. But, in two highly publicized violations, officials slapped a $20,000 fine on Princess Cruises for dumping 250,000 liters of chlorinated pool water in 2011, and Holland America paid 17000 in 2018 for dumping 85,000 liters of grey water. To prevent such violations, Glacier Bay National Park announced in 2022 the creation of an environmental monitoring program funded by the cruise industry that will place unannounced inspectors on cruise ships traveling in the park. The National Park Service places monitors on almost half of all ships to observe behavior around humpback whales, whose numbers were in steep decline between 2014 and 2018 because of a marine heat wave. From a high point of 163 whales, the number plummeted to 45 in 2018. It increased to 128 individuals in 2022, says Park Service wildlife biologist Christine Gabriel. A 2018 study Gabriel helped write found that cruise vessel noise interferes with humpback whales' ability to communicate. The park works with cruise lines and ship captains to reduce the impacts of noise and the possibility of collisions. Gabriel says, What we do to control noise is have the vessels go slower in areas where there are whales. 
We also try to have traffic separation, in other words, keeping the ships away from typical whale routes. Juno. When the Oceanic Topaz docks in Juno, it's one of seven large cruise ships to visit this central tourism hub in a single day. Carla Hart, a tour operator turned community activist and a lifelong Juno resident, has seen the city go from one small ship per week in the 1970s to a tourism frenzy that Alaska's capital now experiences each summer. On the day of Oceanic Topaz's visit, thousands of people will take some sort of tour, typically whale-watching excursions or helicopter flights to the Mendenhall Glacier. These tours generate a tremendous amount of noise. Hart's home is on the shortcut flight path between the airport and the glacier. Dozens of helicopters roar over her house every day from 8 a.m. until 8 p.m. She says helicopter noise is different from a lot of other noises in that it's very vibrational. I find it incredibly stressful. Hart believes an all-out ban on cruise ships is unrealistic, but she is supportive of daily limits, as are the majority of people who live in Juneau. In January 2023, the Juneau Assembly passed a policy recommendation calling for a limit of five cruise ships per day in Juneau, based in part on results of a 2022 Commission study that found that 74% of residents polled supported limiting cruise ships. Whale-watching trips are another source of noise and stress for residents and whales. Heidi Pearson, a University of Alaska Southeast marine biologist, researches how humpbacks respond to whale-watching vessels. A 2019 study she published showed that whales travelled faster in the presence of tour boats. Pearson says they changed direction more frequently and they had a faster breathing rate. Alaska regulations require boats to stay at least 100 meters from whales. Pearson adds, I don't think the current regulation is sufficient to prevent behavioral impacts on whales from boats. Ketchikan. The Ocean Topaz's final Alaskan port of call is the historic port of Ketchikan. Most of the vessel's 3,600 passengers disembark and swarm the city of 8,100 people. Cruise tourism creates nearly 1,750 of the town's 4,090 jobs, and the tourists pump $159 million into Ketchikan's economy each year. But some residents, including Mary L. Stevenson, who's worked in tourism in Alaska since 2006, feel the benefits are small compared with the overwhelming crowds of tourists. In a single day, cruise ships can easily double the town's population, and the impact is insidious. The Ward Cove Cruise Ship Dock which opened in 2021 and is used primarily by Norwegian Cruise Line, relies on a fleet of constantly looping tour buses to shuttle passengers to shopping and other excursions. It's chaos, Stevenson says. The sidewalks are narrow, the merchants and attractions are busy all the time, and the restaurants, if they're good, have a long line to wait for them. Stevenson noted that the city of Ketchikan and the cruise industry have been working over the past year to solve the tour bus issue. Campbell River 
On its way south past Vancouver Island, Oceanic Topaz will, like every other ship on the Alaska cruise circuit, avoid a stop at Campbell River. That's despite the fact that 16 years ago, the We Will Come First Nation teamed up with the city of Campbell River and the federal and provincial governments to build a 16 million Canadian dollar port facility in hopes of attracting cruise ship tourism. Build it and they will come, not cruise ships. Only 10 ships made port here in its first year, and now the We Will Come Nation is debating what to do with the aging facility which has sat mostly empty since opening in 2007. Victoria. Victoria is the Oceanic Topaz's last stop before returning to Seattle. Because of the U.S. Passenger Vessel Services Act, all foreign-flagged cruise ships must stop in a Canadian port on their journey between Seattle and Alaska. Congress passed temporary legislation exempting the rule for the 2021 season, but it remains in place in 2023. As a result of the rule, most of these ships make a brief layover in British Columbia's capital city. Victoria resident Marg Gardner, former president of the James Bay Neighborhood Association and a vocal critic of cruise ships and their poor record as corporate citizens, says most ships arrive in the late afternoon or evening. This allows little time for visitors to do much of anything or spend their dollars. But even when few passengers disembark, there's one thing that will depart the Oceanic Topaz and probably every cruise ship that docks in Victoria. Tons of trash. All cruise ships have the option to offload the garbage accumulated during their seven-day voyage in Victoria rather than at their home port of Seattle. In 2019, cruise ships added 2,100 tons of trash to the region's Heartland landfill, equivalent to just over 100 fully loaded garbage trucks each year. Though the Alaska Department of Environmental Conservation estimates 75 to 85 percent of cruise ship solid waste is incinerated on board, that still means the Oceanic Topaz alone will leave behind about eight tons of waste, food trimmings, liquids, and mattresses, for example, during its visit to Victoria. Gardner finds it ironic that the Capital Regional District, which manages solid waste for the Greater Victoria area, is trying to get residents to reduce their waste. Gardner says, How can you ask us not to create garbage when we're accepting all this foreign waste that belongs in the United States at its home port? The Capital Regional District announced landfill expansion plans in 2020, followed by local protests. In 2022, the district voted to triple trash fees for cruise ships to $500 per ton. Seattle. On the seventh and final day of its journey, the Oceanic Topaz returns to Seattle. Many of its passengers will make their way to Seattle-Tacoma International Airport to travel home. The Port of Seattle estimates that 85% of cruise passengers arrive and depart Seattle by air. Elizabeth Burton, a Seattle-based activist with the organization Seattle Cruise Control, calculated that the total climate impact of a typical Alaska cruising season, beginning and ending in Seattle, including flights, is equivalent to one-third of the city's entire annual carbon emissions. 
On top of carbon emissions, cruises are vectors for disease spread. In February 2020, a Carnival Corporation ship, the Diamond Princess, quarantined for three weeks in Japan with one of the earliest serious outbreaks of COVID-19 outside China. And norovirus is an ongoing risk on ships. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reported a norovirus outbreak among 77 passengers on a Carnival cruise ship traveling between Seattle and Alaska in 2022. Whether it's disease spread, carbon emissions, wastewater pollution, noise impacts, trash, or thousands of tourists, the cumulative impact of cruising is overwhelming. The appeal of an easy, all-inclusive trip through dramatic landscapes and the arguments for economic gains are understandable. But as our fictional oceanic topaz shows, the regions that host these mammoth floating hotels also have a lot to lose. Find more coastal news and stories from Hakai Magazine on our website at hakaimagazine.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook. All of our feature stories are part of the Hakai Magazine Audio Edition podcast, which you can subscribe to through your favorite podcast app. If you enjoyed this story, please consider sharing it with your friends.